Oh yeah, I love I love listening to the show. You're so, so sweet. I'm gonna get us started, and sometimes this takes me 17 takes because I'm n- not perfect. Uh, turns out. Okay. Don't worry about it. Don't tell anyone. You're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all of the good, bad, and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. I'd like to welcome our guest, Levi Loggins. Levi is an actor, producer, and director hailing from Spokane, Washington. Levi moved to NYC after being accepted into the New York Conservatory for Dramatic Arts. Having not had enough beaten out of him by that point, he decided to work for several casting studios in the city while co-producing a one-woman show for all of its NYC dates. After getting thicker skin and more access to vulnerability, Levi moved to LA where he studied in a Sanford Meisner masterclass in order to really hone his craft. I better know Levi from him creating, managing, producing, and casting for the Actors Gym, which is a supportive, loving, incredibly fun environment for actors to perform cold reads and some stage reads of various plays, movies, TV shows. It's super fun. And at the end of this episode, we're going to give out Levi's socials so that you can hit him up to join in on those workouts, and we'll probably get more into that. That said, Levi, tell us, why are you fluent in French? What made you put together the (laughs) Actors Gym? What got you into acting? Let him know. That's so funny. Uh, I am not fluent in French by any means, but I feel like anyone who's actually like knows a language says they're not fluent in it. So I, right. I'm, I must, I'm a stereo, I'm a cliche in that already. <laughs> Thank you. That was, that was such a sweet introduction. I'm like, I, I with the second you started, you're, you're high. I was like, Oh my God, I'm on the show. I got like <laughs> nervous butterflies. I'm like, this is like when I'm listening to it, I'm on. Hi mom. Um, so yeah, I was, uh, acting, uh, I, I was a creative kid. I was a military brat. So I never got like, uh, I never made like long lasting relationships with anyone anywhere I was. I was moving like once every like two years. I mean, one, one, one year when I was like six years old, I think I had like three different first or second grade classes, you know? So I never was able to like plant roots anywhere, which I guess made it easier for me to, you know, continue moving around and and sort of the impermanence of uh, the acting industry as well. Sure. (laughs) More used to that. Sure. So I wasn't one of those stories where it was like, Oh, I, 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 I was finally accepted and I felt like I belonged when I was, you know, I, I joined the drama club or, you know, got, got in my theater class. And everything. No, that's, that's BS for me. Uh-uh. I, I was still just as miserable in high school and everything. Uh, I was just acting as well because I was like, eh, this seems fun. <laughs> I kind of just stumbled across it and I was like, you know what? I'm kind of good at this. And, uh, the, the passion followed the, the interest, if that makes sense. Like yeah. it wasn't like something I was super passionate about before I started which makes me sound a little bit like a poser, but I swear it's not like that. No, it's actually, that's a really fascinating way of saying, I've never heard it said like that, that the passion followed the interest. That's a really lovely way of explaining it. And I'm sure that a lot of people probably relate to that, but people are kind of shy to say that. That's really honest. I think so. And I think it's been, wow, we're, we're going into some uh, deep conversation right away about Get that. ready, Levi. I've, <laughs> I've been working on a lot of like self-care and personal, like, you know, I have a, I got a therapist in the last couple of months and I've been like working on a lot of self-care and personal development. And uh, I've, I've been realizing that like, hmm, a lot of acting classes and the way that acting is taught is very destructive to one's mental health, Right. Right? Yes, yes, yes. And the goal is so to break been, you down. 
Ugh. Yeah, exactly. Which I don't enjoy now in hindsight. I mean, I'm sure you and I could talk about this for forever, but I mean, especially like when you're in Los Angeles and New York city, that's a big, you know, your, your, your mental health is already deteriorating just by being here. <laughs> In other place. And then you add all of these classes that are going to break you down mm. and these teachers where that's their that's their goal. Yeah, in sure. A wicked way sure. Is to do that, whether they're trying to help you or not. I really think there's some teachers that are just vindictive and uh, that's what they want to do. That's their hobby. And they found a job that suits that, which is part of the reason why I started or, or continued uh, the actor's gym was because I, I'm not a teacher by any means, but uh, I, I needed I needed a safe place during the pandemic to keep acting. And I wanted to share that with people. And once I saw people were responding to that well and really feeling safe and, and supported, like genuinely, not not the fake talk of, oh my God, we're a family, you know? <laughs> genuinely feeling safe and supported. I was like, okay, this this is something good. I need I need to continue my work here. So that's that's why uh that's why I uh continue building the the actors gym. Well, and Levi, it sounds like you and I have been beaten in the same way. So it's nice. Uh, it's nice to have you here to totally understand it. And I want to explain because people don't know Meisner. And I'm, obviously, this isn't an acting necessarily podcast. But for non-industry folks, could you just explain why why Meisner is who it's a real specific way to study acting? Yeah. Yeah. Did you have you studied Meisner before? Yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't finish. Time? I'd like a year. I mean, I couldn't. <clears throat> It was a lot. See, you were smart. You actually left it. Um, me, I went through three years of it, uh, of, of Meisner. So what happened was Meisner is a technique that derives from a Russian type of acting technique called uh, Stanislavski after, after the guy who uh, created that sort of way of going about acting. And once it came to the States, the, a lot of acting teachers in New York uh, decided to take their own variations of it. And Sanford Meisner was one of them. And he sort of came up with his own spin on the, the technique of Stanislavski and his own exercises that are stamped Meisner. And a lot of people refer to it as method acting, which is sort of controversial, but not wrong. I mean, it's, 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 <laughs> it's wrong, preference. but it's not wrong. Yeah, yeah. But it's really intense. Basically, all of your, um, you're, you're training yourself to be a crazy, emotional, vulnerable nub at every single thing that comes flying your way and then to throw that onto the other person without any censoring, basically. The the, the cult sort of uh, wiring in my brain from, from three years of Meisner between New York City and Los Angeles is making me say, oh, you have to say the, the actual definition of it, which is uh, Meisner said that acting is uh, living truthfully under the given imaginary circumstances. That is its own lesson and class on its own. But I do believe that is where the indoctrination starts and the mental health breakdown starts is in that <laughs> definition. <laughs> so just to piggyback on what that was so brilliantly articulated, Levi, that was that's I've never heard anyone summarize Meisner succinctly. So well done um, for anyone who is sort of has heard method. Cause I think that gets thrown around a lot. Heath Ledger was a method actor and may he rest. And the, the Joker role is allegedly the role that sort of sent him spinning because method also requires a complete submersion into the life and attitude beliefs and mentality of the character that you're playing. So another example of a method actor would be someone who is going to play a prison 
prisoner and so then asks to stay in a cell for six weeks to get what that feels like, et cetera. Right. Which, in my opinion, is just a bunch of BS. <laughs> you don't need it. You don't need all that to, to play. A, 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 I'm going to trivialize it a bit, but to play a character on TV, you don't need all that, you know. And Meisner is very similar. I mean, I'm going to put out the, a little cautionary warning right now to anyone listening that if you are currently a Meisner student or you're planning on it, I'm sorry, Kate, turn the podcast off right now because I'm going to be talking about things that you will get in trouble for knowing beforehand. Oh, oh I can't you know, wait. It's, it's very secretive. The, yep. the exercises and, and the things you do in a Meisner class, it's very secretive because, you know, you get really vulnerable in there and it's their intellectual property, you know, of, of Sanford Meisner. It's how they make their money. If I go ahead and share, uh, you know, everything, it's going to ruin the class for you. And eventually, if everyone shares everything about it, the, the class will cease to exist. However, it's it's very close to method acting because especially in my second year, my, the, the master classes I took here in Los Angeles at the Sanford Meisner Center, there are some exercises that I don't agree with to this day. I would not do them if I were asked to do them now, given the hindsight that I have. But I mean, you're given uh, certain exercises to do out in public. You know, you're, you're given relationship work to do out in public. So go out with your scene partner and pretend that you're dating out in public as an exercise or pretend that you two are, are you know, fighting over custody at a dinner table or something over a child. It's, it gets weird. And it also gets offensive because, you know, there's a certain point where God, I can't believe we did this. Uh, you are sent out into the world with your scene partner and you're supposed to take on a disability and live I through your day as if that. you have that disability, which sounds awful because it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, For multiple reasons. I mean, I had a classmate. God, I love her. I can't wait to meet up with her after COVID. But she was, you know, none of us knew how terrible it was in the moment. You're in the middle of this, you know, very cult experience environment of, of acting class you want to be good so you're gonna do everything they tell you to do but she had a she faked an epileptic epileptic <gasps> seizure Levi. in public yeah. oh my god in public and and scared the living can i can i pass on here can fucking I say, say whatever living, you want <laughs> yes yeah, she scared the living shit out of everyone around her granted because she was actually really good at it but that uh, doesn't make it okay yeah you know? And did and they it opens up a lot of doors? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no. Did they call the ambulance? Like, did people respond immediately? Like, what was the response around her? She air quotes stopped having the seizure before people were able to actually finish dialing 911. But they, they went up to her scene partner that was with her and were like, "Is she okay? What do we need to do? And is there a doctor around? You know, all that stuff." And yeah, it just it opens a can of it's a big can of worms. The activities and exercises they they have you do. In, in Meisner classes that just are not good and they're not updated to what's acceptable for now. I mean, I remember, I remember at least in my group, we had an alter, not an altercation, but an incident where this one kid was pretending to have Tourette's oh. and he decided that his trigger words that he would, he would continuously say were the N word. I knew you were uh, going to say that. F word. Of course. Um, a bunch of that stuff, which, which, uh, I, I won't go into that story. I'll tell you off camera, okay. uh, off the record, yeah. more about that story later if you want. But I mean, it was just crazy insanity, just nuts. So uh, I, I wouldn't recommend Meisner classes to anyone <laughs> unless you are prepared to pay for a really good therapist during or afterwards. So that's the thing that I was going to say. What I found so off-putting was that the, the people running the classes were other, you know, they were trained in Meisner and they were actors themselves or directors or they had, you know, theater background, whatever. 
but not almost none of them, unless they had independently studied it, were mental health professionals and knew how to create, in my experience, some sort of environment that then let you unpack whatever you did in the room that was so deeply like not even just skin open, but vulnerable, like almost things that people could use against you knowing that. I mean, I had a Meisner teacher that said that was not his responsibility. That's not true. Mm -hmm. No, it's not not because if you're going to cut someone open like that, you better be prepared to, you know, help them clean up the mess. Sew them back up. No. Yeah, no, they, they, they just try to dig in deeper and throw lemon juice and salt into the wounds. Which did you find your acting got better? Like, were you at least glad that you did it? It's it's a double edged sword because I I like to consider myself a pretty a pretty good actor when I you know when I apply myself I, I have a lot of things to work around I think ADHD has a huge impact on on your acting and that's something I've had to teach myself I've never had a teacher be able to work around it but you know it, it, being in the um, being through Meisner yeah that that's where I learned like my bread and butter of acting my foundation of it I you know. My, my emotional life, being able to cry when I need to, being able to be genuinely, you know, be genuine and authentic with material and, and serve the duty of, of the, the, the writing. Uh, I did learn all that through Meisner. However, if I could have learned it in a healthier way, I, by all means, I would have picked that uh, sure. instead, even if it took longer. But it's, you know, it, it, for some people, I'm sure it could work pretty well, but I don't sounds terrible. I don't recommend it yeah. uh, for people to go into. I, I really don't. A lot of the ways that they'll get you to, you know, sign up for Meisner classes is by, you know, uh, sort of putting you through exercises and like demo classes and stuff, proving to you that, look, you, you know, you're, you spend too much time up in your head. You're too logical. You need to follow your emotions more. And, you know, it, again, another double-edged sword where it's like, yeah, it's true, but you you also need your brain for certain things, <laughs> uh, like to live your life. But but they 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 don't trick you into that. But they they emphasize that that is a, a hurdle that actors have to jump to to learn how to be emotionally available. And uh, I think they take it just a little too far. I mean, in in therapy, the whole point is to be able to have ownership and not control, but to be able to tame your emotions, right? to be able to lead them in a certain way to where you'd prefer to be and what's healthier for your, for your mental health. In Meisner, they, they say the opposite. They're like, nope, every little pin drop emotionally, you must lean follow. in. And I do remember <laughs> multiple Meisner teachers were very big into the fact of telling you to live your non-artistic life, your life outside of being an actor that way too. Because if not, it's dishonest. And, and you are not a good person if you don't emotionally live your life to the extent that it could every Ex- second of the day. Except and you will I have abandoned. Yeah, I do too. You will have abandoned all of your family and friends, all of your romantic yeah. prospects, because no one wants to deal with a no. fucking psychopath. <laughs> like that's- Ex- Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that conversation off. Yeah, the, right, right. You know, um, <laughs> if you ask an actor if they are Meisner trained, and they say yes, it's it's usually a pretty good sign that they're also single. <laughs> Just because, you know, a lot of them don't take the time outside to to, to harness and, and take care of themselves and take care of relational skills. You're completely right about, about what you just said about that. So, yeah, that, yeah. So there's that. Yeah. And then you have to detox from it after you've done it. Okay. So I want to get back to your bio. So, so you were military all over the place. Were you only in the United States? Did you go overseas as well? And who was the person in the branch of the military and what was it? Yeah, it was my dad who was in the Navy. He was an electrician on submarines. So 
he would be, you know, uh, he would be overseas, in seas, I don't know, under, under the water, like outside of the States. And he would be there to, to work on the electrician stuff. So we would move to coastal towns a lot. So, or at least coastal states. So I was born in Hawaii, moved back and forth between the East Coast and the West Coast a lot. But when my parents uh, split up and I became estranged from my dad, we were in Washington. So we kind of just ended up there for while I was in high school. And uh, I hated high school so much. I went ahead and skipped my last two grades and went straight to college to get my AA degree because my mom told me, I'm not letting you go pursue acting unless you have an associate's degree. I'm like, okay, cool. We'll get that out of the way before I'm even done with high school. So I did that and then uh, moved immediately at the age of 18 to uh, New York. And then after I figured out I hated New York, <laughs> I moved to Los Angeles. And I don't think I'll be leaving here anytime soon. Okay. And uh, I j- just because I, I have a, I love to visit New York and like I can stay there for like a month or two, but I have a really hard time mm. living there just because of like people on people on people on people. That gets really tough for me. Was it the entertainment industry in New York that you didn't like? Or was it the vibe of the city? Like, what was it? I mean, I sound really stupid to say this, but I mean, I, it's my opinion that, you know, entertainment is dead in New York, unless you're doing theater. That's, that's just my opinion. Everything when I was moving out there was moving over here to the West Coast. I mean, I remember the big deal when I was in school, my freshman year of acting school in New York, was that Netflix had decided to move their headquarters from New York to Los Angeles. And so everything sort of followed after that. They really only shoot, you know, crime shows and, you know, things that you need the city for, you know, like Gotham, stuff like that. Yeah. But I'm not, you know, I used to joke around with my friends in school, like, uh, I need to not be here in New York because the only thing I'll be cast as is, uh, you know, uh, dead, dead, dead body on a slab, (laughs) you know, either that or... You know, I was typecast a lot when I was working over in New York and when I first moved here as drugged out, troubled gay prostitute. That's crazy. I was literally, you know what I was going to say? I was about to interrupt you and be like, well, Levi's really handsome and he looks like the hot jock from from high school that's like tr- like really nice to everybody. So you have a nice approachable face, but I would never have made you the drugged out. You're You're too fit. Like, you don't look like a drug well, addict. Well, thank you. That's very sweet and very misguided. Um, <laughs> it's right. Shut up. But, it's right. <laughs> but no, I was probably like, oh, God, that was before, you know, the little bit of COVID weight I put on and, you know, all this. I was I was very young at that point. So, you know, I was I was maybe 125 pounds, Ooh. maybe. Oh, you and I come were, you out were at tiny. like 5'8". Oh, so. oh, you were you were little. Oh, okay. I was very small. I mean, I looked like a Tim Burton character walking around. And I used to do like Bikram yoga all the time, hot yoga. So I was just, I just, the fat wouldn't stay on. So that was part of it. And because I'm so white too, you know, Mm. the circles under your eyes come come out darker when you're that skinny. And, you know, my looks equaled out to a drugged out gay prostitute. (laughs) And uh, a lot of the time uh, when you have old, you know, traditional casting directors working, they see someone come in that's yeah. uh, a little more feminine. They immediately make you, you know, a uh, sex worker. Ugh. That's just how it happens. So the amount of calls I've been called in for, uh, the amount of castings I've been called in for where I walk in and before they even, you know, hear my name, they're like, put on this dress, put on these heels. Are you serious? <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, my first audition wow. here in Los Angeles, I remember it was like bottom of the barrel. I was starting all over again. And uh, I got called in for some sort of gay parody musical. And before I could even make it through the first full sentence of the copy I had, I was given, they stopped, they interrupt me and they're like, so uh, are you okay taking off your clothes? And I'm like, 
yeah, but to what end? And they're like, nothing, we're good. We'll see you later. And I got cast as the, the, the stripper prostitute. <laughs> oh, I said no. Oh, you I, did? I said no because, yeah, I mean, there was a, it was a very small non-equity, non-union production. Oh. And I was like, I'm not going to waste my time on this. And, and also the, the, the director was very uh, creepy. Mm. Very creepy. Mm. You got a vibe. No, <laughs> it I get it. a good environment. Good for you for knowing that and good for you for saying no. And so you said, so you're, so you're in LA and how long have you been in LA? Oh my God. At this point, I guess I'm coming up on five years maybe. Okay. So you are settled. You're like, you're there. Oh yeah. Okay. I mean, I've never lived somewhere more than two years. You know, oh my even gosh. New York, I wasn't there for very long. Oh wow. Um, but here I've, I've been here, you know, I wake up every day and, and I say, uh, I, I look at, you know, my mountainscape out, outside my window and everything. And I, uh, I always say to myself, my God, I love living here. And I've never lived anywhere where I've thought that genuinely. Oh, you know, ever. I, so I'm like, this is, this is, def- I will always have a home in Los Angeles. Yeah. Always. That's really lovely. And I get it. Um, okay. So, oh yeah. And on that note, because I never do these programming notes up top, clearly this is over zoom. Uh, Levi is in LA. I am still in Ohio and it sounds like that. Thank you for being patient with the hiccups and the sounds and the everything. Okay. So now I want to talk about the actor's gym. So what, what was the development of that? Why? So you had said, and earlier in the interview, you had said, you know, you wanted a place for people to go with COVID and you wanted people to have the opportunity to work out. But what you didn't mention is that like, you are producing, putting together, finding the scripts, casting, organizing the group. I mean, it is a, it is an insane amount of work. So what is it that keeps you, I mean, what, where was that idea that you thought, okay, well, I will take this on. You guys always gas me up like way too much when it comes it's to the It's true. You do so much. But I mean, much. what else am I going to be doing? You know, like I, I, I'm on unemployment right now. There's nothing to go out and audition for. Like I might as well be doing this, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so basically how it started is that the actor's gym, because I, I don't think I've explained it very well yet. It's, it's, uh, it's basically a table read group. At the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of table reads became really popular because there's just not a lot of acting work. And also actors can't really go to classes right now either. So a lot of table reads are popping up, but they weren't really organized. And it was really based off of just like, you know, who you knew. And even then it was maybe one every month, if that. And and I'm sure people got shitty roles in those, whatever. You know, I'm sure it was mostly like someone's masturbatory project where it's like, I want to play Meryl Streep in August Osage County <laughs> and my friends can go suck a dick. You know, <laughs> they, they can play all the, the extra roles. So I got my friends together around a May or June or something, last May or June uh, over Zoom. And I said, hey, I, you know, even if I wanted to go audition right now for things, even if I wanted to send out self-tapes, I really can't. So I decided to get my friends together over Zoom because I knew <laughs> I knew they weren't really doing anything at that point either. Uh, that was right when COVID had really picked up and everyone was really locked down. I got us all over Zoom. We read uh, Sunshine Cleaning Cleaners, whatever whatever that script is. And uh, we kept doing it week after week. And I don't know what came over me, but eventually we made a Facebook group and I ended up just inviting a lot of people's friends and getting that all together. And at some point I was like, you know what, I should, I should, uh, interview and audition people to, to come in. So I went ahead and I posted on a bunch of different actors, Facebook groups that, that I'm on. And I got an overwhelming response. I thought I was going to get maybe two people and, you know, cut to a couple months later, we have you know almost a hundred members right now and counting. So from, and my favorite part is that they're international. Yeah. You know, we have people from New York, Los Angeles, Quebec, um, uh, London, Leeds, uh, Spain, 
anywhere that supports Zoom. I've had a lot of people uh, ask me to join that are from uh, the Ivory Coast. I think that's how you say it in English. But they, they just, Zoom isn't compatible. Or they oh, are I didn't know that. So, no, yeah, there's there's certain places where you can't use it. So I, I can't offer it to them. But, um, you know, it really puts a smile on my face when we have, you know, members from like Singapore that uh, I, w- I won't mention his name, but we have a member from Singapore that's doing his military service right now. So he can't, even if he really wanted to, he, he can't go pursue acting the way he does. And he has such a passion for it. Like you can see it in his eyes. And it makes me so emotional and happy when I see him just like living his best life in a read. So uh, that's what has kept me growing it. And eventually, to let the cat out of the bag, I want to make this its own business. You know, you I want should. to be able to. I want it, I want to be able to make it its own business. You know, so that way this can be, you know, my livelihood and I can make it a thing. Um, sort of my own little uh, UCB here in Los Angeles, and I want to expand out to Quebec and New York and maybe have a European division. But I, I want to be able to do that because I think there will always be a, a need to exercise your acting muscles, you know, and I don't think you necessarily need classes for that. I think sometimes you just need a group and like a gym membership to go practice. You know, I don't think you necessarily need a teacher and to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars every month just to keep yourself sharp. I think at a certain point you have your technique, you're settled in it, and you can learn enough from other actors you're working with. And uh, learn enough from yourself, keeping your, you know, keeping on top of your game. It's, it's just like regular working out at a gym, which is why I called it the actor's gym. I love that name. And I think I'm glad to hear that you are looking to expand it. I think it's a great idea. And I think it's because it's loving and supportive. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so tired of the model of classes or, or even anything working with other actors that involves screaming and throwing things at you and telling you your shit or telling you, I mean, this class I just took was a lot of like, that was wrong, do it again. And it's like, but I'm in class. If I don't know what's wrong and you can't tell me what's wrong, it's not enough to just say that was bad because then I think, oh, you just want to criticize. That's like your whole thing. And so the difference with this is that it's loving and supportive. And yeah, I'm, I'm, that's really lovely. Definitely. And I think the key from that is that I don't teach, I support, you know? So if if people want to work on an accent or anything, I can help them with the knowledge that I know and I've learned from my years in the industry and my schooling and everything, but I'm not here to teach. I'm not here to tell you you're wrong or right or anything. I'm here to support you in your own personal growth and maintenance as an actor. So I think that's what really keeps it at its center, you know, supportive is me remembering that this is, you know, I'm not a teacher. This is not a school. This is not a class. This is, you know, a gym. And I'm really here as like, the director of the gym and I'm here to help you grow. I'm not here to teach you anything new. You know, that, 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 that I think that really keeps it centered on, on the, the mission statement that we have. I love that. Well, thank you for going into that. I'm really, I'm excited for you and for the group. Well, yeah. folks, we hope you enjoyed your apps. We're going to move on to the entrees after a quick break. All right, folks, we are back. And now it is time to move on to the entrees. Okay, so obviously, Levi is not just this super lovely actor person. That's not the only reason he's on the podcast. It's part of it. But he also worked customer service jobs. And so what was your first job ever where the government like took taxes out of your paycheck or you got a paycheck from an establishment? Well, first off, I have worked pretty much every angle of customer service there is. I'm one of those people that uh, I, if there's a job, I've probably had it, you know, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I, it was really trendy. I don't know if that's just a New York thing or what, but it was really trendy 
amongst people my age when I was going to college in New York to switch up your job like every month and not really exaggerating. God, <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, I wasn't really that extreme, but I, I did tend to switch up my jobs quite a bit depending on where I was living. But my first ever job, it wasn't really customer service, but I, I was dancing on the corner of the street in a shampoo mascot bottle advertising for a hair salon. I have to know everything. <laughs> I <have> yeah. To. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm actually really proud of that job. You should be. I love it. <laughs> I, I have pictures somewhere. I need to go dig them up. But I was like 13 or 14 or something. And at that point, I was living in Washington State. And, you know, uh, I don't think you're allowed to work. I was going to you know, say most jobs at that age. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think you're able to work most jobs at that age. And, my, you know, I came from a single mom household, so we didn't have a lot of money, especially at that point. So I was like, OK, I just need to go out and make my own if I want to do, you know, fun stuff, you know, like, you know, pay for my my monthly bus ticket to go downtown and, you know, just just hang out and be a kid. You know, so. I would. I went to the hair salon I normally go to, and asked if they had any any jobs. And I was expecting, you know, like, I, I, what would you call him? Like a barber boy or something? Just yeah, sweeping, sweeping. Up hair. Or yeah. I thought it was going to be something trivial like that. No, they're like, oh, well, we have this costume. Can you go dance <laughs> in the corner and and uh, bring in customers? And you know, eventually, I had the job for maybe like four months and. Then they they replaced me because they found out, you know what works better than a mascot shampoo bottle is just girls. So <laughs> just putting girls out on the corner and replaced me. So, yeah. So so that was my first job. OK, <laughs> um, I love that so much. And so did you was it over the summer that those four months were? Were you sweating your ass off? Was yeah. it miserable? Yeah, it was. It was over the summer. And I had to wear, you know, full full clothes underneath the full mascot costume. So it got really hot. And I remember that my arms were actually showing, right? So I wear a t-shirt, but but my my arms were, were showing up to like, you know, where t-shirts cut off on your arms. And I remember I was out there for so long, no matter how much sunscreen I put on, I got, what do you call it? Sun poisoning. Sunburn. Sun poisoning. Yeah, where your skin is like leather. Yeah. It changed the texture of my skin. Oh, that's... So it was around... Oh, what do you call that? There is a term for that. I don't know what it is, but you, yeah, that's different. Yeah, but yeah. it wasn't really a burn. It was mostly just like I, my skin felt like leather. And so it was at that point that they decided to switch to the girls anyway. <laughs> you know? I was like, okay, that's probably for the best. I'll, 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 uh, I'll go get a, a, a normal job, more normal job. When uh, At fucking when 13 I or 14 old. years old, you're like, well, I'll find something else. To, I'll yeah. work for the man. Okay. Exactly. Well, on <laughs> so that- after that, it was like, I did a lot of retail work. I, I did a retail work in a department store. I worked as a, they call them personal stylists at an oh. express in New York, okay. um, which was really just like trying to overcharge people that came in on the more expensive items that we had. And uh, then I was restaurant work. And, okay, wait, uh, wait, wait, go back, go really pause well. for one second. Hold yeah. on. Okay, so how many customer service jobs have you had? Because you just said, okay, so shampoo bottle was number one. What else? So you said right. retail, if you t- was retail the next transition after shampoo bottle? Yeah, so it was, okay. sh- <laughs> it was dancing shampoo bottle. <laughs> then I worked retail at like a department store. Okay. And then it was, oh God, what was it? Then I bounced back and forth between like retail on uh, uh, right off of Fifth Avenue in New York, which was that personal styling job. Got it. And then it was restaurant work after that, uh, still in New York. And then I moved back to Washington for a summer before I came down to L.A. And I worked a front desk secretarial job at a massage place. 
And then after that, I came down here and I worked at a couple restaurants before the pandemic. Okay. Was it a massage place like a wink or was it a massage place? <laughs> no, this was actually a commercially owned oh. massage place. So Boring. It wasn't anything fun. No, yeah. <laughs> but I did get free massages almost every single day on the job. Hell yeah. Nobody yeah, hates that, that perk. Oh, you would have kept me there forever. I would have given up my acting dreams. Are you kidding me? That's a that's a yeah, good. No, get. It honestly wasn't a bad like career option, but you know, it was just I mean, you get it. It was just a stepping stone to get where I needed. Yeah. Okay. So the restaurants in New York, we're gonna. Well, I want to just because this will probably come up again later. Because the next question is, what was your favorite job? So I just want to jump in though real quick for the restaurants in New York. Were they the like? caliber because i think we maybe are going to remain vague on names which i totally honor what what is the caliber of restaurant that was it the like you have to call six months in advance and do jumping jacks outside before we'll take your <laughs> reservation or was it like a you know you no, can I, get in <laughs> i did not work at Tao. Uh, <laughs> okay that's where no. i was getting <laughs> so no i i there's you know i'm i'm just uh, i'm willing to spill tea oh good uh, oh good I, I, I don't I have no reason to be vague anymore. Uh, I worked at a uh, at a, a restaurant in Chelsea in New York City called Burger and Lobster, which was like upscale casual dining, which meant like it, it was expensive hamburgers. Yeah, that's um, such a fucking contradiction. Yeah. Up, upscale casual. It's how they make burgers cost fifty five dollars. Keep going. Exactly. So I worked there for a couple of years in New York and uh, it was actually it's actually a, a British owned company. So they have most of their restaurants in the UK and they had the one US location in New York. And, you know, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It was a really easy job. I started as a host there. And uh, I think that's how most restaurant jobs start out. And it was nice. I actually enjoyed it. I feel like most people really hate being a host. But here I got uh, promoted to like a supervising position in the host area really, really early on. And uh, it was, you know, I, I was just I was basically being paid to be a mean girl. and and that was it i got i got bribes a lot to cut the you know the hour and a half wait which is not that long considering our location yeah i was getting chelsea's uh, mass like super popular yeah there were a lot of celebrities that would come in which was kind of cool and you know that was a really good job i think that i think that was probably my favorite customer service job i've ever had was working at burger and lobster in new york city now were you allowed to take the bribes that you'd be given were you or do they have well, like a strict... I mean, you're allowed to do anything as long as they don't find out. Hey, oh, <laughs> <laughs> the truth is the truth. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So that was your favorite. What was your, well, can I just, are you allowed to tell me the best bribe you got or is that not an on-air answer? Oh yeah, I can tell you. Um, I have had, <laughs> I mean, more than just money. I've had people like invite me back to their homes you know like instagram models and stuff invite me to join them and their partner but i i never accepted that uh because i just thought that was a little too skeezy <laughs> yeah <laughs> you might have gotten murdered levi i'm glad you said no <laughs> yeah that too but you know usually i would typically walk out and it's not a lot of money given you know what people were making in that restaurant like the servers were making that restaurant but i could easily leave with about 250 dollars as a host yeah. Jesus Christ, yeah. I'm at the wrong city. And I, I think it was mostly because, and I didn't realize this when I worked there, and I only picked this location. I, I got there by luck, this location, because this specific restaurant, because literally the bottom floor, the bottom two floors of this building were the restaurant. If you go up about eight floors, that was my school. So I was able to literally, it was all right there. So that's why I got there. But it's it's, it's sort of like a celebrity hangout spot, like a... a, a at least back when I worked there, it wasn't really, it was starting to become known for that. 
Okay. Like where the celebrities go to get their burgers, I guess. Because <laughs> they're $55, I mean, so why not? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so people would take, the, it was mostly the guys trying to impress their, you know, bimbo dates. Like, <laughs> oh, I, I can get us in real quick. And I was like, yeah, you can, but I need a little bit more money for that. Um, <laughs> I love that you resurrected was, the word bimbo too. Excellent use of that word. Haven't heard it in a while. Oh my God. Have you not heard it's coming back? <laughs> oh my God. Bimbo's back. Oh, come into it. <laughs> it's coming back. The, I, I saw, I feel too old for TikTok now, to be honest with you, but oh, I have found something I enjoy on there, which is bimbo tiktok yeah which is as far as i can understand it's anyone who identifies as a she a they or a gay is what they call it okay i'm into that all right and, and it's like it, it's like a sexual revolution type thing where it's like own your sexuality and feminism and all this stuff and they call themselves bimbos which oh, I if, love. if you're if the word bimbo is being reclaimed in that way i'm here for it i'll use it all the time i thought you were just trying to resurrect like a 50s term that's really fun and i thought you were being very cool oh, and clever you're being no, progressive no, I'm, okay. I'm talking about like the, the the girls that are taking advantage of the dumb rich guys <laughs> oh b- empowerment <laughs> bimbos i'm here for those are empresses yeah. i'm into it okay um, exactly. What is your least favorite of all of your customer service jobs? I have to say my the the one I had right before my survival job right before the the pandemic hit, which was Le Pan Quotidien, um in the Americana. It's like a it's a Belgian French European style restaurant, but really it's just an excuse to sell overpriced avocado toast. Literally eighteen dollars. <laughs> Stop it. Eighteen dollars, and then if you wanted eggs or salmon or anything on top, you would easily spend another ten. Levi. Yep. At a fucking, that's like, it's not fast food, but it's like counter service, isn't it? It's not. Oh, it is counter service. It's mostly counter service and it's, oh it's, you know, tables turn in like 30 minutes, which is why I kept it is because I was making a shitload of money there because tables turn quick sure. and bills rise really quick as well. So I was making a lot of money at this location. However, the environment there was so toxic and I quickly found out it's like that at every one of their locations. I actually believe that the company went fully bankrupt during this time. It's during COVID. And so that helped me with file for unemployment, to be honest. But yeah, they don't have any. Some locations are open, but they're still in the process of bankruptcy now, I think. Wow. Um, Why did that help you with unemployment? Why why would bankruptcy help? (laughs) I mean, I had a huge problem with unemployment in the first place. I, I, I wasn't receiving it for like the first six months. Then out of nowhere, I was, I oh. got a windfall of it all at once. It was, oh my God. You know, I just got lost in the, the, the shuffle of everyone, yeah. you know, all the paperwork that they were dealing with. But the bankruptcy helped because I had a pressing reason that wasn't just COVID. That's huge. I was like, my like, company went under. Yeah, so I have no it, option. It, it helped yeah, it, it helped me kind of when when I was making my calls and stuff. It helped me get to the top of the list a little a little quicker. Oh, so you uh, had to go through the phone call process. Yeah, nightmarely. I, I had to find out that they really don't have an office in Correct. Los Angeles for unemployment Correct. that really exists, which is hard. Uh, and then phone numbers were hard to track down and find and talk to anyone. And also, the lines for the phones would last like six hours a day. Yep, that's um, still true. So, that's still yeah. the case. Oh, bless your heart. So that hasn't been an issue since like the summer, thank God. But, you know, I mean, it was it was pretty rough. But 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 back to the restaurant, it was it was just such a toxic environment. Why? Why was it toxic? And uh, I think it's mostly the way that they do their business. I mean, 
it leads to a lot of mistrust between people working at the at the at the you know at the restaurant. They give managers and especially like general managers uh, a typical budget of how to run their specific franchise or location, and that makes it difficult. Like we had a manager that decided not to buy the amount of utensils we needed because she wanted to save that money to roll over into her winter bonus. Wow. And that was totally fine by the company because once it's out of their hands, it's totally up to the people that work at that location to make their decisions off of the money that they hand them. I mean, even as servers that were there, I don't know how common this is at other locations, but this is the only place where I had to carry my own bank. Have, have you heard of that? We that, that? It, at uh, at the comedy store I have to carry my own bank, but but not. I mean, yeah. the most it was was two hundred dollars. It wasn't. I mean, how much was your bank? No, I, I would. Uh, I would end up at the end of my shift carrying on my person probably easily upwards of $1,500 in cash. That is so fucking dangerous. That is so and fucking dangerous. I was not allowed, at least at my location, to store it in the safe. Levi! My, my shift. I had to keep it on my body. And one time, I will tell you this, how little of a shit I gave when it came to that. I'm not a good server. I'm going to put that up first. <laughs> That's honest. I am not a good server. <laughs> I got promoted very quickly at all the customer service jobs I had because I'm a, I'm charismatic and I'm a good talker. You're a good to leader too. What I want. So yeah, so so I can sort of trick people into thinking I'm a lot better than I am, <laughs> uh, which I, I did. Tell it on yourself. Um, okay. <laughs> but at, at that job, I remember we had a, a shooter scare. One time at the Americana, there was uh, someone that came in with, I guess, a group of people that came in with like baseball bats and stuff and, and robbed the Nordstrom's jewelry department, which was right next door to the restaurant. Right. And uh, people heard gunshots because the, the cop there shot at the floor to scare him off. Right. Wow. Like, watch out. I, I'm packing. And uh, the entire mall, the outdoor mall, of the Americana, everything around there had to evacuate because at that point people just heard gunshots. They didn't know you know, who shot or what's going on or anything. So here I am with, like I said, twelve to $1,500 worth of money that is not mine. That and you're like, responsible Bye, for. Bye, bitches. I'm walking home. So I left the restaurant right then and there and just walked my ass home and waited. And I got a call from my, once the air cleared and everything, I got a call from my manager and he's like, hey, this is what happened. You know, everything's okay. It's fine. Uh, I was still a little freaked out. So I was a little shocked when he's like, so can you come back to your shift? Are you fucking serious, bro? He's like, yeah, can you, can you come back to your shift? And I'm like, no, okay, no, no, I'm I not can't fucking back in, but I will stop. By, I'll drive by to drop off the money. That's not mine, but I'm not clocking back in. But also why weren't they closed for the rest of the day? That's a, that's a wrap is, for the night. Because the money is up to the, the managers there at that point. It's not the company. Unreal. It's not the company's responsibility. So apparently reopening after that and getting a little bit of money they could was more important than uh stay, you know staying closed and figuring everything out solidly for the rest of the night i mean it was full of things like that happening that was just one of the more extreme uh, examples but i mean the bank on your person of that amount of money is enough to show how little they give a shit for the people that work for them because you are oh, obscenely yeah. vulnerable with that amount of money on your person going back and forth to tables with strangers in and out and of we had an outdoor Patio no. too, that was probably a good 50 feet away from the front door of the, Unreal. the restaurant. Unreal. So you had to walk out there and you're, you know, I mean, you're vulnerable to all that. And we had a, it's the America. So you have a lot of people in downtown Glendale, like 
uh, homeless people and crazy people, people on drugs, people drunk, just walking back and forth. I mean, I had this one homeless woman and she would throw the salt and pepper shakers off the table at my customers. Oh my glass God. Salt and pepper shakers. Oh my God. And I remember cause I always had to go out there and tell her to leave. And you know, the, the managers wouldn't do anything about it or anything. I mean, I have stories out the ass about this. y'all you know how this works that's the end of part one part two will be next week but just so that you all are aware the actor's gym which levi is the creator and the basically there's the boss the ceo the everything for is currently holding auditions if you would like to be a part of the group you can actually join from anywhere in the world because it is existing over zoom right now and even when things open back up in los angeles there will most likely be an arm of this that will be online for a little while and then as his company continues to grow we shall see but he would love to hear from you so if you have questions about the group about membership or about signing up for an audition for yourself please email levi directly his email is levi underscore logins at icloud.com that's l-e-v-i underscore l-o-g-g-i-n-s at iCloud.com and he'll be able to answer your questions, schedule you an audition and invite you into the group. And we'd love to see you because you'll see some familiar faces, including mine. And you don't, you know, you can't get enough of me just on this podcast. So join the group. Have fun with us. But as I said, this is part one of two. So join us next week for part two of two. Oh my gosh, what? You wanted to know how you could support the podcast more? Oh, you're the best. Well, it's easy. Just visit patreon.com forward slash the Kate Gaffney. That's patreon.com forward slash T-H-E-K-A-T-E-G-A-F-F-N-E-Y. And there's information there with the tiers and the bonus content and all the fun that you can have. We'll see y'all soon. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Here, hold on. I'm going to go kick the other cat out of this room because now she's pussies. being a pain in the ass. All these fucking I know. pussies. <laughs> <laughs>